Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with David Butler. Dave, how you doing, my friend? Well, how you doing, Sean? Great. Good to have you back. So today, if you don't know anything about Dave Butler, I've done a an episode beforehand on this. You can just check my back catalog. It's there. You'll learn everything you need to need to know, especially in the space. There's someone else who used to live there in that That's space. Right. That's right. This is, in fact, he wrote here. This is uh, this is Stephen R. Covey's original 1958 office with his with his original period, uh, not the decor, the posters are mine, but the wood paneling and the the shag carpets. Oh yes, my office is considerably more famous and book best selling than I am. <laughs> well, it'll it's rubbing off on you. It's definitely rubbing off. On That's you. the goal. Sympathetic magic, man. That's right. That's right. That's right. So today we're going to discuss your new role and how to pitch to a specific publisher. But a lot of those lessons, I think, can be generalized to other publishers. So with that, why don't you give folks a, uh, some background on what you're doing? So I guess for about six or seven months now, I have been part of Bain's editorial team. I'm, my title is consulting editor. It's not a full-time gig. I don't have a full-time gig, ha. Huh. But I do a variety of things as a Bain editor. One of them is that I actually do podcast interviews. So if you watch the Bain Free Radio Hour podcast, I'm one of, so I don't do the, I'm not the sort of main consistent every episode host. That's David Afsharad who talks about the new upcoming books and, and stitches all the components together. But I do something like a third-ish uh, of the interview. So in fact, last week I recorded, uh, was it last week? Last week I recorded two. I, I recorded an interview with Mike Williamson about uh, the release of his trilogy, Target Terror, and also recorded an interview with uh, Mercedes Lackey and Larry Dixon, which was kind of a career celebration for Mercedes. That's a piece that I do. I also do, I edit books, I, which means get a book assigned to me. I read it, developmental edit, correspond with the author back and forth when the book is ready, shepherd it over to, uh, there's a sort of an air traffic controller who moves things around, but I kind of monitor the book as it goes off to copy edit, comes back, needs to go back over to the author to make a decision on all the post changes, goes back into typesetting, back to the author, Right. And, and intervene to deal with any issues that, that come up in that. And I've even started to do just a little bit of stuff on the acquisition side. I've been, in, been involved in, I don't want to overstate this. I've been involved in green lighting a book. Bain, if Bain is, if you have the impression that in some very important ways, Tony Weisskopf is Bain, that is a true impression, right? Like she, she is, she rules the roost. It is her it is her publishing company. So really, she makes the ultimate call on everything. And what another editor would do was go to her and be an advocate, say, listen, I think this is a really good book and here's why. And so I've done a little bit of that too. Uh, and then other things, and then other things, interacting with Bain authors in uh, social media to try and coordinate stuff, working on kind of training materials for our authors, representing Bain at, at conventions, that kind of stuff. And how's it been so far? Like how many kind of green, like green light, or I don't know if it's, it's not green lights, but how many books have you green lighted thus far and how do they come in and 
just the one, just the one. And it came in from an author that, uh, that we, uh, we know already. We've got books by him. He's agented. So I think formally it came in through his agent. And uh, Tony looked at the first 50 pages and said, look, take a look at this. Here's what I think so far. And I went and read the book and put together a letter and said, hey, I think we should pick it up for these reasons. And uh, yeah. And I've got now uh, a couple of writers I'm talking to, which I, where I expect that I will help them sort of do a first edit of the manuscript. And then I will take it to Tony and propose that we get. Now, I haven't got to that stage yet, but that's happening. That's happening currently. And without exposing you to a tsunami of emails and, <laughs> and tweets and things like that. Let's talk a little bit about the pitch process. What's what's the right way to do that? And even if they were to approach you, what's the right way to do that? And I'm going to suggest it's probably not email, but I don't know yeah. if that's the right answer. Well, so it's interesting. So, okay. So, so ways to get into Bain, right? Ways to get into Bain. One, get to know Tony Weisskopf. And if you can get to personally know her in a way that she has a sense of your work ethic and also sees, can see that you are a dependable and professional person, right? So that if she were to send you out to represent the company at, say, a dinner with the sales team of Simon Schuster or the Librarian Association or something, she's not worried that you are going to pick fight or get drunk and fall down in the jello plate or something, right? If she can have, know those things about you and also see that, you, look, this person plays well with others in social media, I'm not embarrassed by anything here. And then you can say, and here's this manuscript and she loves it. Like that's, a, that's probably the shortest, uh, the most direct route into Bane. Because ultimately, Tony is, Tony is Bane. Now there is a, we, we do take open submissions. So there is a, there is a way to email the website or I, I don't know if you email or if there's like you upload the manuscript, whatever it is, Bain.com, B-A-E-N.com will, will point you at it. That can I, can I, can I submit a book in crayon? Uh, <laughs> people have submitted books in crayon. That is the thing that has in fact happened. You're kidding. You're kidding, right? You're not being sarcastic. I was being sarcastic, obviously, but it wasn't seriously? inspired. That has, that has in fact happened. Yeah. So, so historically it's taken a long time to get through the, that slush, right? That's the slush pile. Anyone can send a book right. to the slush pile. Historically, it's taken a long time to get through that. It's actually in really good shape now. And then that's entirely due to a guy named Gray Reinhardt, who has some other title, but he's unofficially and also frequently referred to as the slush master general. He, he's got a team that he works with. It's very organized. Books come in. They get an immediate look so that if it is in crayon, it gets an immediate rejection. Or if it is a children's book and some author who's just desperately hoping, I know you say you only publish science fiction fantasy, but you're going to love this, gets immediate response or if it's a romance novel right like let's get those out of the way and not spend any time on then and if it's basically the right size and it's in english and like it's all the things you you would think people would who understood what bane was would submit 
then it goes into a process where it gets readers and that that's pretty quickly pretty quick at this point I, I don't know i don't remember the numbers but it's gone from being where your expectation should have been that it's going to take a year and a half or more to i think it's a pretty quick turnaround now the the challenge there right is you have to get through the the reader who first actually looks at it and then that person has to say we like this and then it has to get through gray who i think then gives it a read and get recommended up to tony now books have been published that way this is how chuck gannon was acquired my novel witchy eye came up that way at the same time as i had in fact contacted tony made friends with tony and sent her the manuscript so i'd kind of both those things had happened actually chuck too had on the one hand had a book come up through the slush pile and at the same time he had started becoming a co-writer of, of uh, eric flint's in his 1632 series mm -hmm. so so look you can you can get published that way you you have kind of several hurdles right because then tony still has to like it at the end in theory, also, you could approach an, an editor at Bain, right? So, oh, by the way, not just an editor. I'm going to throw a bunch of people under the bus right now. You could, in theory, approach anybody who has the ability to go make a per persuasive pitch to Tony Weisskamp, right? So you could say Larry Correa. Right. My good friend. Right now, I'll, I'll have his email address float up on the screen. No, right. I'm just kidding. Mm -hmm. I won't do that. <laughs> uh, I like Big Gun 72. No, it's not it. So the, and say, listen, hey, I want to get in, right? Could you pass this on to Tony? Could you recommend it? Authors are probably going to be pretty wary about like a stranger doing that, right? But, but it certainly happens that an author who knows somebody who's a friend and kind of reads their novel certainly does happen, like turn around and give it to Tony and and connections get made that way and, and books get bought and uh, you could also do it to me now i would uh, me or jim mins right or david offshard throw him under the bus so cold emailing me is probably not the best thing tactically to do i'll i'll look at it if you cold email me something but the truth is that i will i mean it's, i'm human i will put more investment into it if I already know you, right? If I, if and even, even know you in like a, maybe I've never met you, but I've had a lot of interaction with you some other way, right? Social media or, or professional association or, or something. So yeah, now again, I cannot, you send me your manuscript and I love it. The best case is not that I say, I am acquiring this book for Bain. The best case is I say, now, wait a minute. I'm going to go talk to Tony and, right. and then go talk to Tony. And then she's got to read it. And, and by the nature of things, she is a bottleneck on a lot of stuff, right? She, she has a lot of responsibility. And so, and so that just may, may require some time. Right. So I think those are your, your, your basic ways into Bain. <laughs> So those were two ways or three ways? There was well, the you can submit to Tony directly. I guess I'll add a four. Yeah, that's one. Uh, that's okay. one. The slush pile, an established Bain author or editor who would then talk to Tony. The other thing is you could come in with an, with an agent. We certainly have uh, writers who are agented. I am agented. 
The we also certainly do not require agents. Uh, we don't we don't dislike them. We just we don't find them necessary. But we we do certainly get books pitched to us by agents. So I guess that's four four ways there. And then. You, I mean, I wouldn't expect you to have this data fresh on your off, off your fingertips, but in terms of the books that Bain ultimately publishes, what would you estimate the relative percentages are in each of those buckets? I know they're constantly changing too, but I think the slush. That's interesting. I think the slush pile is pretty small. I think that's a mm-hmm. long shot. I, I think the truth is that most of what comes in through the slush pile is pretty bad. And uh, which, by the way, means that if your book is not bad, if it's good, that you'll stand out, you should stand out pretty easily. I should also say, when I say that, there is risk that I'm creating uh, false hope because everybody thinks the manual, their, their, their manuscript is pretty good. And, and most of us are wrong. <laughs> so... So Although you're, you're, you're very good at coming up with co- novel concepts that sound both hilarious and terrible at the same time. <laughs> what was that? What was that? What was that fantasy that you uh, came up with on Larry's show? Can't oh, uh, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. It was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So, so my guess is that's the smallest. My guess is the other ones are probably something, my guess is like coming in, my guess is that probably the biggest number are those who kind of contact Tony somehow, one way or the other. That's my guess. My guess is probably agents and other editors are kind of somewhere in there buying around for number two and then and then slush pile last. And I could be totally wrong about that. That is a, that is a it's based on me making some pretty big inferences from a little bit of data. Yeah, I would say the way that I and Stephen Lawson did it was, you know, you meet Tony at a conference or a convention and then send her an email and say, hey, at least this is this is anthology territory. So I think it's a little bit a little bit more straightforward with that because you don't have to read a book. You just have to read a pitch and see who the authors are. Mm-hmm. But th- that's how we got in. But again, you it, it's it's helpful to say that hey, I met you at this convention. I mean, they're not going to remember you. I mean, just in general, editors are not going to. Maybe they will, but I have to see you for a while. I think most of the time, right? That's right. That's right. But I, I like there's two things. First of all, one, yeah, Tony is a person you can meet at conventions, right? And that's a great thing. She goes to a lot. I think her. I I think she just loves them. I think that's sort of her yeah. piece, right? And but the other thing is actually maybe you're talking about kind of like a door number five here, which is some other non-novel writing project get you in the door, right? So people do get That's introduced right. to the Bain team by like winning one of the short story contests, right? We have two, there's the Jim Bain Memorial and then there's the other one, I forget which is which. There's the, a sci-fi. the fantasy and adventure contest or whatever it's yeah. called, yeah. Right. And yeah, they should actually call it like the David Drake or something like that. But maybe we will. Maybe we will. I don't uh, know. I like that actually. That's really good. I, I I literally just came up with that. But then, well, then, but Larry could fit could fit that category too. So it's almost like you could probably put both. I don't know. That's true. But David, you know, Dave's a good a good guy. We should we should be honoring David right now. That's a I like <clears> the this. Drake Award. Yeah, I kind of like that too. <clears throat> or anthology, right? Where and, and I mean, I. If we unpack a bit what you described, right? So you met Tony, 
Then you went and you 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 organized the anthology. So you weren't just sending an idea saying I'd like to do. You went out and you I, said, and I forget who was in here. This is this your weird world or three and and four and four. Yeah, I, I had I went out to authors before I pitched and said, hey, I don't. And you have to be honest. Like this has not been right. approved by the publisher, correct? Right. But if it, you know, if it were to be approved, would you be interested in? participating and then usually you can also daisy chain it so that you the more prestigious the author that has said yes then you can as you pitch it other authors like so and so is signed up for this already right uh, would you be interested and then you just kind of and sometimes they'll say i don't know we'll see maybe and when they do that i would typically ask was it okay if i put you in this pitch and i'll just put you as tentative and then you just put tentative right and then that way you're not you're just being a hundred percent transparent and honest yep. that, you know, there's a chance, but they, they might not, they might not agree to be a part of the anthology, but at least that way, when you're an unknown editor or you haven't edited anything at all, you're not, you're not going to, there's no reason for a big publisher to back you. However, if you have some really good headliners, then you kind of lower the risk for that, editor to, or that publisher to take a chance on you yeah. so and then of course you have to demonstrate other things that there's it's low risk that you're gonna flake and, and things like that yeah there, man there's a lot to unpack in what you said so not having the name in the space right like you're sort of replacing that with hustle i'm gonna hustle and do this also you know there's like if you when you succeed which you you've done like you're working on your third anthology for Bane right now, right? Yep. You've also bought yourself a big task where, and not not trying to get you to throw anybody under the bus, but like then you have all these authors where you got to go back to them and go, hey, they said yes. And uh, can you get me your short story by September? And suddenly some of them are like, oh, I'm behind <laughs> on a contract. I don't know if I can. Oh, my dog is sick, right? And like, I've never heard an anthology editor who didn't have some list of these, like just problems or they're like super picky. Right. Or you discover that some big name writer doesn't know how to format his book. So you're like, you're like putting in punctuation marks because this New York times bestseller doesn't know how to punctuate. And so uh, I guess just by way of adding a little color to kind of what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. The good news though, is I actually find editing to be much easier than writing because it's just organizing right you just you have to pad your deadlines because if you don't right <laughs> you're you're gonna be you're, you're gonna you're, you're gonna you're gonna want to eat a gun right yep. the only thing that is consistent about these things is that 40 to 50 percent of your authors will miss will miss the deadline in fact if you don't remind them of the deadline they'll forget there even was a deadline yep so which is you worked in finance corporate finance yep like like New York, like corporate, and yeah. I worked in investment banking. Like those are things that, right? Like we'll get we'll get you fired on the spot. Right, right. The right. idea that like, hey, <laughs> this is gonna be done tonight. That means you stay up till four in the morning because when I that's right, in, the client needs to have it and it has to be right. Like that, mm, the unheard. Of. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, yeah, your kid's got a softball game. Too bad. <laughs> right. We're paying you now. Granted, you're getting paid to yeah. uh, to give up your life that way. So, but, but that is the deal. Yeah. yeah, that is the deal. 
Yeah. So I actually, this I was sort of saying this earlier, right? Like, like when I, when Tony was considering acquiring a first book from me, she knew that Larry, she, she had known me a little bit. I made a point of seeing her like for several right. years, I'd been talking to her and interacting on online and stuff. So she kind of saw that part of me, but she knew that like Larry Korea knew me personally. So she went and talked to Larry and the questions we asked, she asked him were not like, does Dave know how to write? Because she had the manuscript, right? She asked questions like, is this guy going to hit his deadline? If I buy one book from him, is the next book going to come the next year? Or is he going to suddenly tell me he needs three years to write it, right? Like she asked me questions that are all about that, professionalism and, 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 and work ethic. Because it's, it's a problem, right? Some authors really can do it. And some authors including some pretty spectacular high profile examples apparently cannot right i know i think we, i think we both know some of them and yeah. they know we know we, we know we're, we they know we're talking about them as they're watching it right oh. now we're just not going to say their names because we love them yeah so yeah so i can't remember who said this i i it wasn't a writer and what was the context it was somebody's blog post and I can't even recall what the blog generally was about, okay? But he, but he said something to the effect, I, I can't tell you how writers succeed. Because in my experience, every writer who succeeds makes a hole in the wall that is exactly the size and shape of one writer. Mm -hmm. and, and a little a little bit, right? So like these submissions, these are kind of like roads into Bane we're talking about. It's, I think that's a pretty good kind of assessment but man out there there's going to be somebody i mean john ringo how john ringo got in is he picked a fight on the bulletin board service with jim bain i don't even know what it's about he picked a fight Rah! i don't know what it was about jim said well send me the manuscript that you think would work and he did and jim Hart now i would 100 tell you if you pick a fight with me online i am not going to read your effing manuscript that will not work with me i don't care who you are what your manuscript's about <laughs> right I work hard enough not to have fights online. I'm not right, but it worked for John Ringo. Yeah. And it's going to be someone who, I don't know, shows up as a singing telegram on Tony's door holding a manuscript, right? And it's going to get a deal. So next week, Tony gets like 70 singing telegrams. Telegram. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. Yeah. Good work. Good job. <laughs> the main offices in, in, in New York City. The, the office inside, in, indicated inside the cover. That's the, uh, are, the, are those the ones that are in Poughkeepsie or Buffalo? Yeah, something like <laughs> I can't remember. It was one of those White Plains. I don't know. Or it's the Schenectady where, what's his name, gets all his ideas. The, the idea firm. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? The I don't, actually. Harley, Harlan Ellison. Oh, okay. Like people would keep asking him, like, so where is it that you get, get these ideas? And he would just say, not ironically, well, there's a service I subscribe to in uh, Schenectady, New York, and they send me the ideas via Telegram every week. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys will, in fact, also take the Telegrams for Tony. So send those to her there. <laughs> and ideas, too. So actually, notes and ideas, because yeah. when yeah. somebody else randomly writes a book with a similar idea, that's not good. I don't know, man. A lot of a lot of books have more or less the same plot. It's all right. We can survive books that are similar. Yeah, yeah, over and over again. Plus, you know, most ideas are not not great. That so. is all true. Yeah. So so let's see. So so what, what I mean, do, so that's kind of the roads in. 
what else you want to talk about you want to talk about like pitching and stuff or or what what is useful and interesting to your audience you think sean yeah let's talk about pitching a little bit so look fundamentally all pitching is basically the same all pitching is you want the person you're talking to to want to know more right i'm going to tell you something that's going to make you want to know more and by the way that means the the copy on the back of a book is a pitch right and the letter that you send to an agent or an editor is a pitch and the thing that you say standing up at a table when you're at Worldcon to try and get that person to buy a book it's it's all this is all the same it's all sometimes sometimes you want to say more sometimes less but basically it's the same a uh, a, a pitch letter to a publisher or to or to an agent okay i think I think the way to do this is to, especially when you're at first doing it, is to write a three-paragraph letter. And it's pretty straightforward what those three paragraphs say. So paragraph three, the last paragraph, is the, is the, is, I think of it as the business. It's, it's state clearly what I want and the business-relevant details, okay? So if I'm pitching a manuscript, it says something like, so let's say I'm, I'm pitching an agent, right? My third paragraph says something like, I am seeking representation for title, a comma, a, scientific, uh, a science fiction novel completed 120,000 words, right? Title is a standalone book, but you know the universe could accommodate potentially a large number of follow-ups or sequels. That's basically it. How long is my book? What is the genre? What do I want? I want representation. Two subjects. I've taught classes on, like at World Fantasy and LTUE and elsewhere, I've taught classes on pitching. And, and, and when I talk about this paragraph, there are always two questions, okay? Question number one is always about genre. People always want to know, well, you know, my book is, it's in a very particular genre. Like how, how complex can my genre descriptions be right and my answer is don't <laughs> don't okay if if you the longer the more words you put into your genre genre description the less likely i am to read your manuscript because it tells me you may not have any idea about kind of what defines genre and so if you say, oh, oh, it is an alternate history, magical realism, neo-Victorian, neo-Victorian, you know, noir horror, I'm like, screw you, I'm out, <laughs> right? Really? Uh, that sounds like the best possible genre I possibly imagine. Cannibal butterflies erupting out of the mouth of cursed people in old mansions in Schenectady, New York. So, <laughs> so here's the thing, right? Genre is not an author's problem genre is a bookseller's problem and therefore it's a publisher's problem and therefore it's an agent's problem and therefore it's an author's problem the bookseller has to go what shelf do i put this on and so if you walk into a here's what i would say you walk into a barnes and noble go figure out what section of the bookstore your book would be in and read what the says on the top science fiction right fantasy mystery right if you want to get more complex than that add like one descriptor 
It's an urban fantasy novel. It's, you know, hard uh, science fiction novel. It's hard science fiction. It's, it's a futuristic thriller, right? If you get really cute, it's sort of set, it communicates to the editor. Well, this person doesn't really understand how booksellers sell books. And, and maybe that's going to be reflected in the book itself. You're going to end up with this difficult to sell thing, right? That doesn't mean it's like immediately a no. Maybe you're going to say exactly the right combination of words that I'm going to go, oh, I'll make this my exception. But you're just making it harder for yourself. Make a short, just what is the simplest genre or the simplest genre plus one descriptor, okay? That's how you sound professional. The other question I get all the time, is, well, should I list my qualifications? And the answer here is, don't. Don't, unless they're really, really relevant, okay? Because if you list things that aren't relevant, you just sound like you're desperate. So don't say, well, I have a bachelor's degree in Near Eastern studies. Like, that doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if my story is like, you know, it's about, you know, Irgun members in the Palestine mandate defending, you know, trying to fight for the, you know, having a, a Zionist homeland, right? My bachelor's degree in, in Near East is still not relevant, right? Like if you have actual, like if, like if you have a PhD and your dissertation was in the subject matter that the book is about, say that. Or if you have, you know, if you have published novels or if you've won awards with your published novels, awesome. If you have published some small number of short stories, you'd probably say, hey, I've got, you know, I've got four, five short stories published in various venues. Maybe identify the biggest one, right? But don't list every one of your short stories. Don't say I won this creative writing prize in college. Like you just, you make yourself sound smaller, right? And fundamentally, the reader is not going to care. Oh, this science fiction novel was written by a guy with a bachelor's degree in Near Eastern studies. I will buy this book. So, so resist the urge. It doesn't make your book seem smaller to not have any qualifications, right? That for you, just make the pitch good. You know, the, the pitch is the qualification. I guarantee you, no edit, no, you know, when these like pitch mad things on Twitter, no one's going, and I really only want to see pitches from people who have a PhD in hard sciences. Like, that doesn't happen. So, so okay, so that's kind of, that's, that's, that's the business. I, I guess one other thing, if you, are, if you are pitching to an agent or to an editor, as opposed to, for example, if you're writing back cover copy, right? This, is, this, is, this doesn't go on the back of right. the book. You... The, the ideal description of your book is the one that, that, that I already gave in the sense of, hey, this is a standalone novel and it's complete. And I could write sequels if you want. Don't have to have sequels, could write sequels. What if you have 27 sequels that are yeah. already done? You, you got to think hard about that. So if you wrote, if you wrote, I, I know a guy who wrote his full seven volume epic fantasy series it exists he is now editing it i don't know if he is shopping it yet he, here's the challenge here's the challenge he's going to face here's the here's the challenge that that you face if you go and pitch a series of which only book one is done okay to the extent you are an unknown commodity 
which is going to be the case when you're pitching your first novel, but probably even when you're pitching your third or fourth or pitching a new publisher and you're like a mid-list person, okay? The publisher is looking at you and thinking, and by the way, this is actually very analogous to the situation of a reader that you're pitching, you know, trying to sell your book to standing at a book fair, okay? Same situation. The reader, the editor, the agent is thinking, okay, if I go to work with this guy, it's going to be an investment. If you're a reader, it's an investment of 20 bucks plus, you know, six hours, eight hours of my time to read the novel. You know, if it's an editor, if it's an agent, it's, it's a lot bigger investment than that. So on the one hand, they're, they're trying to think about, well, how big is the payout likely to be? And so this is why they're caring about things like, is there a clear genre? Does the writer seem to be hitting the genre? Do I think this is hot or going to be hot in a year and a half? Right. Is it is the payout potentially big? Would would Hollywood be interested in this story? On the other hand, they also want the investment to be as small as possible. Right. So so if you say I've got a novel, it's done, it's ready to go from my perspective. Happy to have your input doesn't have to have sequels. That's the smallest possible investment. And and so that is the best pitch. Right. Like like from the point of view of risk reward kind of analysis right cost benefit so doesn't mean that's the only one i mean i pitched witchy eye to tony weisskopf and i did it wrong in many ways i i pitched her a series i also i she's really more of a science fiction reader i pitched her this fantasy series you know i still got picked up right so so the fact that i tell you something is better for your improves your chances does not mean it's the only way to succeed right so that's, that's the business. If you're standing selling the book at a fair, the business is much simpler. The business is, hey, it'll cost you 20 bucks and it comes with a free signature, right? And that's, that's the business. So, okay, that's a, that's a third of your pitch. What about, what about the other, other two? Right, the other two. Yeah, and again, it doesn't, you know, when you get comfortable doing these, you'll find that maybe something needs four or maybe something only needs, you know, one paragraph. But all right, paragraph number one. Paragraph number one should say, this thing is really exciting and you want to know more. And I think most of the time, your, your best way to get that is to focus on your main character. And, and, and seeing the center of the book, the heart of the book from that main character's point of view. And actually what I recommend is before you write that paragraph, create a Mad Lib and fill in all the relevant blanks and then polish the Mad Lib, change it into that first paragraph, okay? The Mad Lib goes like this. Character name is a brief description, right? Like an urchin on the streets of 19th century London or something. Character name is a brief description. Who more than anything else wants to whatever is the goal, right? but cannot because what's stopping her from the goal. To do this, to overcome that obstacle, she described the plan. What does she set out to do? Take, take the ring to Mordor, right? Whatever. If she fails, the consequences will be whatever, okay? So that Mad Lib gets, well, who, who is this? And by the way, you should, you should, 
you should give the the pitch audience, the agent or the editor, you give them a reason to care about that that character. And there's a lot of reasons why we care about a character, right? Probably in this little space, it's going to be hard to show that they are skilled or funny. So probably the easiest thing is to sort of make them an make them a an underdog in some way, right? So 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 okay. So we got a character, and we got a stakes, and we got a plan, right? That's that's kind of the essence of it. If you get me caring about the character and like believing in the stakes, oh, but how will she stop the destruction of? the world of Pinelandia or whatever, right? Can she possibly steal, you know, the nuclear bomb and well, I don't know, whatever. Isn't Pinelandia and Fort Polk? I, I, <laughs> I think so. What are the, what, or, the Larry Korea likes these two make up made up countries. One of them is Pinelandia, isn't it? And what's the other one? Cresnovia. Uh, I've Kres- I've I used to be I used to be a member of Cresnovia. That's yeah. that's uh that's the national training center. Like that's where yeah. it's like a Russian, Russian Pinelandia. I don't know if, I don't know if Fort Polk uses Pine, Pinelandia or Krasnovia. Pinelandia yeah. might also be the, you know, a, a fake country in special forces selection, but I don't, I don't, it's, it's one of those two. That's funny. anyway, sorry. Sorry. You just um, jiggered my memories. That's awesome. No. So I have a reason to care, right? And at this stage, all really, I mean, hey, if you can hook the, if in paragraph one, you got the, the editor going, oh, awesome. But at least you want them going, okay, what's in paragraph two, right? And then paragraph two is more, you know, paragraph one is here's why this story is awesome. Paragraph two is here's why it is even more awesome than I said before. What do you put in there? It depends on your story. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... If you have a, you know, an ensemble cast with like multiple point of view characters, maybe paragraph one is about your main character. And if you're like, well, I don't know who's my main character. We'll freaking pick one. Okay. Who's the most sympathetic? Who, for whom are the stakes the highest? And then paragraph two is maybe kind of a similar paragraph for a secondary character, right? Who was someone who's also important. If you are, you know, if you're writing a romance novel, paragraph two sets up the romance plot if you were if if your novel is science fiction or fantasy and there's something really important that that you want the reader the audience to know about the setting right or the science idea being explored or god help you your really cool magic system okay this is the place to put it right so the sort of genre dependent but always the 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 key should be look you're you're not trying to explain the whole book, right? In in three paragraphs, really in two paragraphs. You're just trying to give the agent enough or the editor enough information to to say I want to know more. And then the business. So, so if your so if your intricate magic system uses the four four sided die and the twenty sided die, yeah. and is you could put all the you know all the permutations and combinations. You should not put that in this. You should probably not graph them out. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. You just want to get down to the bottom of the business where you say something like, I'm seeking representation. The first chapter is pasted into the text of the email. May I send you the full manuscript for review? 
or I have attached the manuscript for your consideration or whatever based on the context of are you following submission guidelines? Are you corresponding with an editor or whatever? Yeah, and that'll get you like if it says only send the first chapter and you send the entire manuscript, that's no bueno in most cases, right? You should you should try to comply. Yes, you should. Now I, now I know manuscripts get picked up all the time where they didn't comply with the formatting. And I think it is easy to, I think it's easy to over-exaggerate the importance of formatting. So writers, especially, okay, especially writers who, huh, this is potentially a whole big conversation, especially writers who have their like aspiring, like they're fighting to get through, right? Right. Will really fetishize the wrong things sometimes. Yeah. The rules. Yeah, the rules. And 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 partly it's because we have this thing where writers kind of try to climb up the heap by turning around and teaching other writers. They don't really know what they're doing yet, but they but I'm gonna teach you. And so some things get really get ridiculous emphasis. I remember a few years ago I heard at every conference I went to about how you know professionalism required that your author email address needed to be author at name.com right author at davidjohnbutler.com that's ludicrous that's ludicrous my email address is the eyeball kid i've gotten every contract i've got with using the email address the eyeball kid okay no one cares what your email address is now it probably shouldn't be like you know poopyhead at boobs.com that's a problem right damn it <laughs> you got me you're out so Right. So, so in the same way, writers who are really trying and they, they think they're knowing all the rules and the rules are going to get them there. And they say, well, no, you have to indicate your word count in the upper right page and it should be rounded to the nearest 500 or what? Like, okay, yes, that stuff is important. It's not that important. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like, like it's way more important that the editor read your pitch and go, ah, I want to know more. Right. That they she read your manual, the manuscript, and say, "Ah, I think this can sell, and I think I, you know, I think my audience that follows my authors will buy this, and I can see where it would fit in a bookshelf." And it's kind of like things that do well, but it's got enough new things on its own that it's, you know, it's worth publishing, worth taking a risk on. So, Dave, you're telling me I can use wingdings on this one? You can. Oh, I'll tell you this: <laughs> my agent. Okay. I'm going to say this because I don't think she'll ever listen to this. So, so all of my pitch letters that my agent used to sell the manuscripts that I've sold, like I wrote them all. Okay. She took them. Here's what she literally did. Take them, put them into comic sans. Okay. Sometimes intersperse things. Like if I, if I say, here's my pitch letter and here's some high concept comparisons, right? Like it's the kidnap plot is like, Pinocchio if it was written by Jules Verne right stuff like that mm -hmm. take those and intersperse them in and send them and so she deliberately puts her stuff in and I have ordinary correspondence there it is not in comic sans she deliberately puts things into comic sans now I think that is wily I think it is it makes her emails immediately distinctive I think editors look at her emails and are like oh there's an email from Deborah right 
I wouldn't suggest that as a strategy for everybody, right? Like, uh, well, Wingdings, you can you can read Comic Sans. You can't read Wingdings. That, right? Well, that's correct. Yes, yeah. but again, I think so. that kind of crowd of like, oh, here are the professionalism rules. Here are the format rules. <laughs> we'll probably all tell you don't write in Comic Sans. And and I guess what I'm saying is that's probably right, but that's probably right. less important than other stuff, right? You can probably get deals, you know with even with a manuscript and comic sense don't don't try it to prove me right or wrong you know but probably okay so where, where were we you were in the second paragraph yeah so additional. that's it for that that's basically what the pitch looks like you know the you know what the i mean what the well so first of all that sort of two first two paragraphs man that's also the back cover of your book right there bam that's the back yep. cover right you could also- no, I mean, it, it legitimately is in many cases. I, I know, I know a huge part of what's on the back of my book or books. It's not a hundred percent the same, but it's pretty close. And yeah. and you could probably you get comfortable with saying that. You can probably say it as a verbal pitch. You're at a cocktail party. Someone says, "What's your yeah. novel about?" Well, it's about it's about so and so who was a an urchin in London, Victorian London, and his. More than anything else, he wants to, you know, visit a chocolate factory or whatever, right? Like you can say that. Right. So yeah, that's basically it. I mean, there's a there's a there's a lot of I mean, you know, how do you how do you get to an agent or what do what are venues like? What are acts avenues of access to agents that are maybe different from the way publishers work, why you might want an agent, et cetera. But I think I think that that but you get comfortable with that three paragraph format, that's extremely versatile. Now, that aside, you have a book that just came out called Abbott and Darkness. We talked a little bit about it in last, last time I had you on the show, no. but let's, let's rehash it a little bit. Like, what, what should people be looking out for? We got an accountant, and that accountant. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's a thriller, basically. It's, the protagonist is, is John Abbott. He's just out of school with a lot of debt and a young family. I had kids young. So he's got, uh, he's got two small children and his wife, and they've taken a job on, uh, on this, in this star system called Sarobar. Now, this is about 100 years in the future. Humans and Earth have made contact with a couple of alien species. We haven't gotten much out beyond our, our own system, except that there's this wormhole, which we have used to travel 40 light years away to this system called Sarovar. And some settlers kind of took advantage of the wormhole and got through. But then basically a corporation took ownership. And I, I you know, the whole like United Federation of Planets and Earth has a global government. I either I don't believe it or I think that's a dystopian. And so... So there is no United Federation of Planets. This is a corporation chartered by the U.S. federal government. Okay. Klaus, Klaus Schwab would disagree very yeah. strongly. <laughs> Klaus Schwab with his The Great Reset fanfic. So, 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 so why, why this setup? Okay. So, okay. So what's on Sarovar? Sarovar is a system that's very rich in natural resources. And the one that this book is about is that it produces a fabric, okay? There is a species on Sarvar Alpha, which they're, they're radially symmetric, like three-sided crabs is what they look like. 
and they produce this fabric, which is beautiful, and it's also very flexible, and it's also self-repairing. So it will it stresses and it becomes stronger. So it has industrial uses and it has high fashion uses. It's very much in demand and it's very expensive. And and like no silk, one, kind of like silk, right? That's the like kind of the yeah. And so this this jump via the wormhole takes six months. Okay. So so what's the setup here? Well, the setup is. This is really an age of sale story. And, and really the sort of what the setting is looking to echo is the East India Company and its relations with India and, and you know, and Parliament, right? I mean, the, 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 pro, the challenge with the East India Company is no one ever quite meant to do this, but basically they took a for-profit corporation and they said, you go over there where we, it takes us six months to get a message to you. And, and you, you have way better arms than the locals, right? And go ahead and do what you got to do. And, and, and that company, its only motives were the profit motive, right? Mm-hmm. So there was no, the locals didn't have some kind of democratic check on their presence. And they, right, they, and, and so, so you, you, in, you set up a situation with an inherent problem, built-in structural conflicts, right? So this company was set up to be like a government, but not set up to be able to be a government. And so that's the situation here, right? Now, now John's very excited for this job. Why? Well, because the Saravar company, like the East India company, the pay is okay, but the pay is not the great thing. The great thing is you're allowed to trade for your own account. So you take mm-hmm. your salary, you live in the company dormitory or barracks or whatever, you buy we- Saravari weave yourself and you ship it back to earth and sell it and you get rich. People have been doing this for you know a decade, getting rich, you know, trading on the side. And so John's leveraged to the gills. He's borrowed to pay for school, right? Got wife and two children who are depending on them they're they're all in they're they're bet on they bet on this job we're going to go pay off the debt and make our fortune and then go do something else well he arrives on saravar and he goes to meet his boss this guy who signed his you know employment agreement his offer letter and stuff and the guy says hey listen there's this remote post out on the edge and i think that somebody is skimming from the tilt and so I, I know your offer letter said you come here and work for me, but I want you to go there and suspect everybody, including especially the audit chief of the post, because who is better positioned to steal from the till than that guy? But I need you to go investigate and, and you know, confirm whether there's been theft. And it turns out there has. And, and very quickly, on the one hand, he's trying to sort of ingratiate himself with the traders and get this kind of his own business going. But on the other hand, he is trying to find out who is stealing, which also becomes who is trying to kill him, which also becomes who is who is profiteering. The underlying problem turns out to be, this is a spoiler, but the underlying problem is that some of the traders to get richer faster have skipped ahead from trading screwdrivers and, you know, wrenches and awls to the, the, the natives to trading them guns giving them, you know, automatic weapons in exchange for larger quantities of weave and, and they're stealing company resources to accelerate the process so they can get rich and go home, right? 
Well, this means you've got these populations, of these radially symmetric crabs who aren't especially human in their thought patterns, who now have machine guns, right? So this is the problem John walks into. And then like the question of, wait a minute, what about the boss who sent me here? How much does he know? And am I being sent in here as a sacrificial lamb to, you know, am I expected to even survive this? So that's that's basically that's 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 Abbott and Darkness about about a month now I think. Yeah. And and how how have people been responding to it thus far? Well, I think it was was it Publishers Weekly or School Library Journal. One of them described it as competent. <laughs> <laughs> Only the best. Only the best. Only the best. What do you even mean? <laughs> Oh, well, they were, uh, they seemed to be unhappy that my protagonist was a, a straight married man with children. Is that as <gasps> competent, but dated? Yeah. Oh, is that what it's, did they say, but dated? Seriously? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was fine. <laughs> Your reviewers can have whatever opinion they like. I'm, I'm pretty amused. <laughs> At last I looked at, we're up to like maybe 27 reviews on Amazon, which just, okay. I mean, shows five stars so it was all five stars couple of fours per review yeah, that's great and if you if you if you're like first if you haven't bought the book buy the book read the book and review the book because you need to get you need to get that number to 50 right it's what they say i don't know amazon that whole thing is sort of a changing target you know i there are guys who make their whole writing career out of basically watching amazon like hawks to try and detect any change in the algorithms i have other things i have to do so, but yes, it seems clearly to be the case, the better the reviews are and the higher number they are, that, that surely can't hurt, right? That's right. That's right. Yes, I'd appreciate it. Anyone who bought the book, that'd be great. Thank you. And are you working on any additional like a sequel? Are you I think any other projects? I think eventually I will. What I need to write right now is I need to finish The Witchy War, which has two books left. And I what I don't want to do is to write book five and turn it in, have it come out. And then I go to write book six and realize, oh, there's some major plant I needed earlier in the series and I didn't put it in there. And so now I need to go back and quickly shove it, right? So I want to basically write five all the way and then at least a big chunk of six before five comes out. And so I need to basically the way to do that is to finish the, is to write those two back to back. So as soon as I finish a couple of editing projects, books, manuscripts of mine that I need to edit and hand over the publisher, then I I will basically be doing that for probably, you know, eight months or so to get through those. And which probably last question, because I know you've been on for a while. What's your pro, what's your process behind that in terms of like, do you, are you a plotter, a pantser, mixture of both? How do you how do you approach that process? That's a good question. I, I think I think there's kind of a there's a spectrum, right? It's easy it's easy to think of it as binary. It's not quite right. I think, you know, at the far end of the spectrum, I've heard people talk about writing really detailed 30 or 50 page outlines mm. and and then turning it into a book is fairly, I mean, it's a small step from there, right? You're you got to like multiply the number of words by eight or something. You're almost just filling in the sentences. And then at the other end, there are people who say, you know, I, I have no idea where the book is going, uh, which is basically, for example, well, okay, so here's the problem with that, right? 
So there are some high profile examples, people who say, I am a pantser, but sometimes they say, I am a gardener. I plant things and let them grow rather than I am a pantser. I am a gardener probably sounds more noble. But then oh, Stephen problem, King slash George R. R. Martin. Yeah, and I was thinking <laughs> George R. R. Martin, right? I mean, the problem is you right. get to the end, and if you have, in fact, literally been pulling it out of your backside, there's a risk that you don't have a good place to land. Not that we have any reason to think that might have been the case with Game of Thrones, okay? But that was, the, theoretically, the problem, is that I've been right. just making, trying to make it worse at every turn, and but now where does it go? So... I'm not a plotter like that when I, when I, well, I, I don't have a completed outline when I start writing. I have a, I have a partial outline and what my outline looks like is, I should say, by the way, this is totally different when you're co-writing a book, but when I'm writing a book by myself, I have an outline that looks like a chapter by chapter outline where, you know, for each chapter, I list things like location point of view character what happens in the plot what happens in the subplot maybe other key themes like you know what element of magic is there what element of mystery is there depending on what i want the book to communicate and the first act i want the first act totally filled in and then i want to know at key turning points where do other things happen so, so I don't start writing a book until usually I have a pretty good idea what the ending is. But also, so like Witchy Eye, I, I knew I didn't want a three-act structure because I didn't want to have a big doughy middle act where I kept trying to keep everyone's attention. So it has a six-act structure. In the first draft, I had 30 chapters. My agent wanted me to shorten it, so I put two of them together and pulled out 10 pages it has 29 chapters but originally it was six acts of five chapters each so when i'm planning it out my first i knew all five of the first act chapters and then i knew what happened in chapter 10 and 15 and 20 and 25 and 30 and then you start writing and i would get up and like well like full process edit yesterday's write today's chapter, think about the outline. Because of today's chapter, I get a little more visibility into how things are going to play out between chapter five and 10. So let me add this in chapter seven. And you know, now I know there's a subplot point happens, has to happen between Calvin and Obadiah. It's probably going to be like down around chapter 12. And so usually the outline kind of grows with the manuscript. Mm-hmm. Often to the point that the outline is in fact never finished because I hit I hit the final climax and I just don't need the outline anymore, so I just stop. And so the outline is only ever like 80% done because that's all it was for. I don't need like a record of the book. The book is the record of the book. Uh, uh, well, because uh, I, I, I update my outline when, as I write because if you ever write a sequel, you know, you can go back to it. That's and true. And then... But anyway, or in the, editing process. in the editing process. Now, it can also be useful. Now, now, I don't want to pick a fight, but but the other, the other great tool you have, in addition to what you are saying about the value of the yeah. album, the other great tool is that these documents are searchable if you wrote them on the computer, right? So you find your way around that way. Yeah. yeah. So that's so that's basically, yeah. So I'm like an outliner somewhat. I think if you're a real hardcore outliner, that just means that your creativity is much more focused on the outlining portion of the task 
and that the and, and and you have less freedom to be creative as you're as you're writing the manuscript and I, this is the difference you know yeah and I, and I think even with those usually they're the creativity comes out in happy accidents that don't really don't I shouldn't say don't advance the plot, but I, I would say that are not required for the plot, but add some spice to it and maybe add a light moment or a dark moment or whatever that you just as like mood setting, things like that. Yeah. Or even, I mean, again, the less outline you have and you can always amend your outline, right? Nobody's outline is in is steel girders, but you, I find that sometimes the, the way I write, one of the things I like about it is I do find that sometimes as a, and I'm not sure I can even think of an example, but like, I'll go, oh, this is interesting. This is a solution to a problem I knew was lurking back there. I wasn't sure how to solve it. This is how I'm going to solve it. Because yep. I, the characters came together in a way and I realized something, right? There, there's a lot of, there's a lot of serendipity or there's a lot of, I don't know, your unconscious mind, help, you try and help have your unconscious mind help you solve plot and character problems. Yeah. All right, my friend. Anything else that folks should check out for your work? They should check out all of my work. I would be thrilled if you if you read anything by me. Abbott and Darkness is the current, as most recent release. You can find more about other things I've written on my website, which now I got to think about whether I've updated it recently enough to have everything there but davidjohnbutler.com is is my website it's a good place to start yeah and it's, it's all going to be in the comments below so awesome thanks for all right my friend thank you again if you enjoyed this video hit like and subscribe and i'll see you next time